1: to you from south florida uh joe is not here tonight but we do have a very special guest a good friend of mine for many years uh david litvin the director of poker at the big easy casino in hallandale beach down here in south florida one of the biggest rooms down here and we're gonna have some fun because we got lots of things to talk about obviously always action in south florida poker down here in this area But, uh, you know, several things have happened over the last few years that I want to discuss, and several things will be happening over the next year. We'll get into some of that as well. Uh, I will bring Dave on in just a second. I got a couple of news news items that I wanted to touch on. First of all, some sad news. Uh, Lane Flack, who is one of the legends of poker, actually passed away last evening. He was only 52 years old, so it's amazing. But, there was no cause of death released. However, Mike Mattisau, who was very close friends with him, said that he passed away in his sleep. So, um, very sad to hear. But Lane Flack was one of the legends because not only was he great and funny guy and a tremendous poker player, he was fearless at the table, from from what players say. And uh, not only that, but he was a scratch golfer. He bowled several 300 games in bowling in his career, and was just an overall talented guy. Um, He won six World Series of poker bracelets over the years and, uh, you know, was one of the legends truly of the game because uh, he learned from Johnny Chan and uh, a couple other major players over the years. And, uh, you know, it certainly uh, was probably on the top 10 list of a lot of people for great players of all time. He uh, hadn't played a tremendous amount over the years, but besides Johnny Chan, he learned from Ted Forrest. And he won his first World Series of Poker bracelet in 1999. His last one came in 2008, a $1,500 pot limit Omaha tournament from the World Series of Poker. And uh, today the poker community, very sad and surprised at his passing uh, last night at the age of 52. Uh, Several other things happening in the world of poker. I do want to mention the Poker Go event uh, is over with. We've been talking that over the last uh, few weeks, and uh, that was played uh, out in Las Vegas. And uh, we had mentioned that Ali M. Serovich was uh, a two-time winner in, early in the tournament and uh, was starting to lay a claim as one of the best players of the current era. Uh, but a famous name ends up winning the Player of the Series Award, Daniel Negreanu. He is the inaugural... Uh, Poker Go Cup Championship. He cashed four times uh, during the eight-event series, including a win toward the very end of the event. And he is awarded the Player of the Year uh, trophy. Imcirovich finished second. Kerry Katz, who won the high roller, took third, uh, made over a million dollars in that event. So um, some of the top names in the game of poker doing very well in this event. Uh, Alex Foxen was fifth in the standings. Jason Kuhn, seventh. And a local, Jake Schindler, who we mentioned, won one of the tournaments, finished in the top 10 as well. Also, the World Series of Poker uh, online event is going on right now, and we'll get to some of those results. But uh, one of the latest champions, Martin Zamani, whose uh, brother Ben lives in Boca Raton, Uh, the two brothers, both very good players, and he gets his first World Series of Poker bracelet uh, with a win out there. Online And uh, that is about halfway through the event. I think they, they're playing event number 20 right now. There's 33 altogether. And they will finish that one up um, over the next couple of weeks. Also, Seminole Hard Rock Poker Open, uh, one of the major events around the country, or actually around the world, uh, obviously had that $10 million guarantee in their first year, which they crushed. Uh, By over 2 million. They actually fell short the second year, but uh, when they dropped uh, after that, they dropped the uh, guarantee to 5 million. I think it's 3 million right now for the main event. And that gets underway very shortly. August 6th through the 10th is the main event, but the whole series starts on Thursday of this week, July 22nd. And uh, all the South Florida locals will be playing, and a lot of the nationally known players will certainly be in throughout the series. I don't know if all of them will be here for that opening event. But uh, I'm sure a few will, guys like uh, um, Alan Kessler, who plays in all these tournaments, travels all over the country, and someone like Kathy Liebert, I would guess, would be here and a lot of big names. So I uh, look forward to covering some of that event. That will be at the Seminole Hard Rock July 26th. I'm sorry, 22nd. Through, I believe August 10th is the final day. That is the day of the Big Four, where they will play four major events, start them on different days, but come down to the final tables all on the same day. And I certainly look forward to being there for that. Let's get to our special guest here on the program today, a good friend of mine for decades, literally decades, uh, I guess about 40 years or so. Uh, which kind of ages us a little bit. But uh, David Litvin, the director of poker operations at the Big Easy Casino in Hallandale Beach, uh, will be my guest uh, for the program today. Uh, he has not one but two books that you can obtain on Kindle, and I'm sure Amazon it's available for purchase as well. But the newest book is called From God, uh, The Mostly True Adventures of a Modern Day Messiah, and it's a novel. And it really doesn't have anything to do with poker, although who knows, maybe the sequel will uh, involve poker. But Dave, tell me about the book. Uh, It came out in April. Uh, How is it doing so far? And uh, what do you hear with feedback from people?
0: Um, It seems like uh, everybody who's read it seems to like it. Uh, of course, a lot of those are friends and family, but there's been a few from you know people I don't know. I mean, I probably sold about a hundred books and a you know a few hundred have downloaded on Kindle. It's on uh, actually on Kindle Unlimited, so if you have Kindle Unlimited, it's free. And uh, look, you know, I mean, I didn't write this book to to, to make money. I wrote it because I, I really enjoy when when people read stuff that I write and, and that they enjoy it. And I love to hear feedback. Mostly, I like to hear good feedback, but bad feedback is good too. You know, it makes you better in the long run. Your first book book was
1: about poker, all in the poker musical. So, uh, you know, I guess uh, give me a little information about how you came up with the idea for this one. Obviously, it's based on a fellow named John Frum, who actually I found out today was a real person back in the 30s, uh, visited these islands. And you use that as a basis for the book. Um, A lot of uh, real people kind of – Mentioned in the book, although names have been changed to protect the innocent or in in many cases the guilty, but, uh, you certainly, um, you know, have the pop culture references that make it very entertaining.
0: Yeah. And there's plenty of Easter eggs in there too, for people who are, uh, who are Star Trek fans or, uh, know anything about the history of the, uh, Volvo company and their, their, uh, gift of the seatbelt to the work, to the world. Yeah, Um, for sure. But, uh. No, I mean, it's based off of a real thing, which are cargo cults, which is, uh, I'll make this as quick as possible. In the, you know, During World War II, a bunch of U.S. and British Navy vessels went to some South Pacific islands that had never been colonialized, never been touched, never heard of anything or anybody. So when they got there, the islanders considered them to be like gods. I mean, they had ships and radios and medicines and everything else. So, these religions called cargo cults or John Frum cults sprung up around it. And the, the point of these religions is someday John Frum is going to come back and bring the mother load of cargo and everybody's going to be rich and happy. And, uh, you know, anthropologists love to study this stuff because it's, you know, it's hard to watch a religion actually develop in real time in the modern era. So they're, they're constantly studying it. And there's still uh, two, 3 million people in the world who believe in these cults and the, you know, the, the Island that my book is based off of is one where there's still a bunch of people who are still into it. Now, whether they believe it or not, cause they're modern now and they have computers and they have electric and they're, they're part of the world. So it's really more of a pastime to them than it is like a religion but it's still really popular and they have this ceremony where they build these like tanks out of wood and planes out of wood and they dress up in makeshift American uniforms and they you know, they go down to the port and wait for John Frum to come back and you know and bring them the mother load of cargo. So everything I've just said is real. That's all true. You can Google it. It's all, you know, there's a uh, several different versions, but most of them involve the John Frum, F R U M. Uh, my book takes off from that and says, you know, what happens if there's something incredibly valuable on one of those islands that the world wants? Um, so these uh, these two corporate guys uh, decide to find a washed up actor and dress him up and give him a Navy ship and send him there to pretend to be John Frum in order to get the mineral rights.
2: Okay, I'd
1: like and, to get uh, back to the plot in a little bit, but I, I want to get back to it because you know the people some people don't even like to read novels uh i read it and finished it over the weekend and i it was a great read a short read that uh you know it's, it's not you could actually read it in one day i didn't do that but uh, uh certainly as i mentioned to you i felt like there's a movie in there somewhere and that's uh, not too far from your mind is it
0: no, I think it I think it actually would play out as a pretty good movie. You know, I think every author probably thinks that. But in all fairness, I mean, it's, you know, it's interesting locales. It's got a little bit of everything. It's entertaining. It's, you know, the slightest bit spiritual. There's a little bit of political commentary, but not too much. It's not heavy handed. Um, you know, a little bit about, you know, race and class. And, and But mostly it's just fun. You know, mostly it's just funny. It doesn't take itself too seriously
1: it's fun but i also felt like there was really some good uh, world lessons today and in this today's world of of liars and uh, power brokers uh we all know who they are but uh uh we certainly know that honesty and integrity and uh and kindness really
0: is goes a long way to uh, surpass the greed that's in this world today yeah you nailed it and you know the but it was also important to me is is that I don't didn't want the Islanders to be, you know, they they end up being the, the smartest people in the room at the end of the day, and that right. that that's what I wanted. I didn't want them to be being played as as a, you know, or getting conned. They they end up being you know they figure out what's going on, and they're they pretty much lead the way from there. And I didn't want the indigenous culture to come off as being like these hapless savages because they're far from it.
1: Yeah, they are, they're always uh, identified as savages in today's world when people uh, see dark-skinned island people, and uh, the truth is very, is very very, much different from that. Uh, I want to uh, come back to that a little bit. We'll talk about the plot and also uh, a little bit about your first book as well. But uh, I find it so interesting. You have such a great, interesting story. We've known each other a very long time, meeting in the world of High Uh We actually both have been longtime High lie announcers. And uh you were a highlight player as well as an amateur. Uh I didn't realize until I saw the end of the book that you actually represented the the US in in a major international amateur tournament.
0: This is true. Tell me about uh, that. I played in the the Campeonato Mundial in 1990 in Cuba. I was there for almost a month. Um the the best part of that is because of, you know, at that time as you remember the strike was going on, so uh my opponents were some of the best players in the world who had not come to the united states to play because you know because the strike was going on so this won't mean much to your listeners but a tyne celaya were all players in that tournament representing spain and uh i was a pretty good right. player but not uh, not when it comes to playing against Atine.
1: they um, actually went uh, on to, to represent their countries in the olympics was there any thought of you doing that
0: well, by by us finishing a miraculous fourth in that tournament, which was you know, part of the Pan Am Games in Cuba, um, by us finishing fourth actually qualified us to play in the Olympic Games in 92. Um, by that point, there was no thought of me doing it. I was you know, I was not playing as seriously at that point. And we ended up not sending a team, which I was surprised about. But by us finishing fourth qualified us to send a team. But I don't think they actually did. Okay.
1: Uh, you were actually a Highline announcer at Dania for uh, quite some time. You did, I think you did some PR work as well. Uh, one of three uh, well-known Dave L. announcers in the sport of Highline. Uh, our, <laughs> our good friend Dave Lamont uh, being probably the most famous of the three of us. But uh, after your Highline uh, career, you got into poker. And uh, tell us how that happened.
0: Well, I mean, uh, Highline highlight was kind of played out. I had done it a long time. I still enjoyed playing the game, but you know, I was getting a little bit older, and I saw that you know I wasn't sure there was the greatest future for paramutuals. And a friend of mine went and had gone to a school to learn how to play poker. I went and I tried that, and I spent about after I finished, I spent about three weeks working at the uh, the original Seminole Classic. Um, and, uh, that, that really wasn't to my taste, but I knew some people who worked on a cruise ship going out of Martha's. I don't know if you remember the sun cruise.
2: Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. And I was, uh, able to get on that pretty quickly. And, you know, you dealt a few hours and you made decent money and it was a, you know, a nice atmosphere. And I really enjoyed that. And I did that for a while. And, uh, less than a year later, I found myself running that room. Um, on the ship. Yeah on the ship yeah it was a six table poker room it wasn't anything huge but i you know i mean i learned a lot and um you know started running tournaments there and what was cool about that is i was kind of in total isolation so i didn't know all the wrong things that people did in tournaments and and some places still do um but we started running tournaments there and they became popular and it wasn't too long before my our competitor which was the, the sea escape a bigger vessel that went out of port everglades uh they hired me away and i went there and i was running bigger tournaments and they became really really popular because this was a time where you you know you couldn't play real tournaments online i think they were just starting to run tournaments you know, on some of the seminal properties, but they were horrendous. You know, they were keeping a half or two thirds of the money. Um, you know, when we were running, you know, really nice, really reasonable events on the ship and we're getting 150, 200 people showing up for these tournaments. It was great. Wow. That's kind of, you know, kind of how I made my name in the business, you know, and we, and we played it, you know, when we were really, really, really particular about making sure everybody knew where every dollar went, how many chips were in play, You know, I mean, it was it was it was really cool. That was a fun time.
1: So obviously a good experience and having done both the dealing and managing, did you realize that uh, the managing end was really the way you wanted to go?
0: Um, To a certain extent, it wasn't really how I wanted to go. I mean, I was at a point in life where I was pretty happy dealing and putting my head down and not having any other responsibilities and you know when the when the ship thing ended you know on the the sea escape there was some kind of dispute between management and the people who ran the casino which was was always happening on the sea escape um you know i i uh, came off the ships and I, I actually opened a poker dealer school with a couple of friends of mine and we did that for a couple of years and it was uh, it was really fun and i really felt like we were doing something you know kind of good for the world you're giving people a career um, and we did that for a while, and uh, we found that that was very gratifying, but not really profitable, especially when you have three people involved in it. So I kind of backed away from that, and I, I came here to the Big Easy with the ideas uh, is I just want to deal cards and go home. Right. Well, a lot
1: of people start off as dealers. Uh, they l- have to learn somewhere, and uh, the schools have really been a place to, to teach people how to do it and do it well. Um, I just started working over at Dania in the Poker Room as a, as a chip runner, so I've gotten to know the young dealers there, uh, the ones just starting, the ones who have been in the business for years. So we have conversations in the break room, and, and, and it's pretty interesting, but uh, uh, is it hard to it's probably not hard to teach people actually what to do, but is it hard to teach them how to do it well?
0: Well, let me start with this. What, I, what I've always said is, is I, I can teach almost anybody to deal, um, but I can't teach you to smile and I can't teach you to want to be there. So I mean, it it, it kind of begins and ends with customer service and the right personality and 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 really the most important thing is it being something that you want to do, you know, that interests you, that's not like a job, and you know, I mean, those people, I you know, almost all of them, they have enough skills for me to be able to teach them, and and by the way, I'm going into a shameless plug here because it's uh, it's important. We're uh, We just got to go ahead to actually open a dealer training school here at the Big Easy. Um, We're going to be starting as soon as we can get enough students. I mean, this literally just happened yesterday, so we're in the planning stages. But, um, you know, anybody who's looking for a new career, we're going to we're going to be training them right here at house. And I am unbelievably fortunate in that I have arguably the greatest poker dealer teacher in the world at my disposal. And that's not hyperbole. That's for real. Um, you know, if you watch poker on TV, there's a pretty good chance you're watching somebody who is trained by him and, uh, he's amazing. And we're going to take advantage of that because it's very hard to hire poker dealers these days, or at least ones of quality. So we decided we're going to make our own.
1: Well, well, thank you for that scoop right here on poker action line, delivering the goods again for (laughs) poker people everywhere, but, uh, uh, certainly That's great to hear because there's an incredible dearth of of poker dealers right now. There was a time where everybody heard, oh, wow, there's big money to be made. Let's go. I'm going to go learn that. There's tournaments all over the country. Uh, There's cash games uh, and and more casinos are opening, it seems like, every month. And then it kind of just flattened out a little bit. And, of course, COVID came and a lot of rooms were closed. People got away from it. Um, you know, I don't think it's for everybody. Um, as you mentioned, you, you can't make them smile. You can't make them happy. And some people are always going to be miserable doing it. And uh, let's face it, uh, the average poker player is not always the nicest person. You know, there's a lot of losing going on at the table where you lose probably the majority of your hands. And people get very angry and they often take it out on the dealer which is a uh a topic that we discuss here on the show with uh, with joe who has uh, trained hundreds of dealers in his career but uh how do you um how do you deal with the emotional part of it when you're when you're teaching them i mean obviously you know people have the skill with their their hands on dealing and have to practice to get better and better and of course there's all the rules and One of the most important parts is dealing with the customer. How do you deal with that with your students?
0: Well, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not that different than any other type of uh, career where you're dealing with the public. You know, I mean, the main difference is, is that, you know, you sit down at a table and you're kind of, you're stuck with them and they're stuck with you for a half an hour until you move on. And the other element is that, you know, especially here at the Big Easy, you're dealing with a lot of regulars, meaning, you know, people who are here you know four five six seven times a week so if there's a personality conflict they don't like you you don't like them you, you know you are kind of stuck with them and you you know what, what i tell players is is hey listen if you really don't like them that much get up for half an hour he'll be you know the next dealer will come in and you know and what i tell the dealers is is hey, listen you don't have to win the argument you don't have to get in an argument you win you're making money You're here to make money, you know, so just let it, you know, try to let it go in one ear and out the other. But yeah, I mean, there, there are difficult guests and, you know, we deal with them and we, you know, we protect our employees, you know, I mean, you can't curse at them. You can't, you know, and, and, you know, we protect you to the greatest ability, but at the end of the day, it's a customer service business. If you're working in a restaurant, you know, and the food comes out cold, The customer is going to take it out on you, even though it's not your fault. And, you know, a certain amount of that you have to live with, but you don't have to live with anybody being abusive or threats or anything of that nature. We will, you know, we will always take care of that.
1: Certainly poker players have their own uh, superstitions, any type of gambling, you'll find that with people. Uh, One of the things I've noticed in my short time at Dania working on the floor is that it is a lot of the same people every day at nine o'clock when we open they have a high hand uh giveaway for the first three hours uh giving away two thousand dollars in that three hour period so people want to get there uh at the very beginning and have every possible shot at the big money and mm-hmm. uh at nine o'clock a.m the doors open people are uh you know they're not they're not taking the escalator up, they're running up the escalator so they can find the seat <laughs> that they want. It's pretty crazy. Uh, I noticed one guy always likes to sit in seat eight, which is just the seat to the right of the dealer. Uh, other people, you know, have their favorite tables. Obviously, there's going to be other players that they want to go up against that they feel are not that good, and they'll have a better chance. Uh, of course, most of the uh, jackpot chasers are uh, playing the 2-4 limit game, and I'm sure it's uh, very th- much the same at your place.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, we run, you know, I mean, you're familiar with us. I mean, we run the, the same promotion every day. We're extremely consistent and it's, and, you know, I mean, so there's, there's no fire to get here for it cause it's running all day, but I mean, it's, you know, we're very, very, very steady. We've kind of gotten away from the, you know, the peaks and valleys of promos and just, we just offer something worthwhile all the time and it really works. I mean, uh, this, this room is never done better than it's doing now. And, you know, the the only thing that's missing is, is, you know, I don't, I just simply don't have the dealers to be able to do what I want to do, which is I want to get our tournaments going again. But I mean, I'm not even close. I mean, I need, you know, at least 15 dealers to make that a reality because people loved our tournaments and it made the room exciting. And by by the way, I know, you know, I don't make any money off of our tournaments. Our tournaments are basically to provide excitement, give reason to people to, to come here, get, you know, word of mouth. And they love them. They're, you know, you know, they're free roll tournaments. It costs you nothing to to start with, and you know, it's all funded by rebuys and add-ons. Yeah. Um, and I'd love to be able to do that. And that's a big part of the reason that I'm, you know, I want to run this school is uh, I think that it's going to get pretty crazy around here between now and when the winter time comes, and I, you know, I want to try to be ready for it.
1: Well, I'm sure you are looking forward to those tournaments I played in several and always had a good time. Uh, Of course, it's a free roll, which I guess is a little misleading because you don't get that many chips for if you play for free, Uh, you get the initial uh, add on and all of a sudden you're now right in the action. So, uh, you know, it does cost you a little bit, but of course you got to put up some money to win some money. Although if you got in for nothing and uh, had that small uh, starting chip stack and uh, doubled up a couple times in the very beginning, it wouldn't cost you anything, and you could. And no, you could
0: we've had we've money. had plenty of people. You know, I I would say that that this might be a bit of a stretch, but I mean, I'd say that virtually every day there was somebody at the final table who hadn't spent a penny. Yeah. You know, and if it wasn't every day, it was certainly every other day. I mean, it you know, it, it certainly happened a lot. But even, you know what, something even if you look at it like that as a small buy-in tournament, it's still an incredible value. You know, you come in, you take, you you know, you you nurse your chips till the break, take a uh, you know, take the single add-on at the break, and you you know, you got a shot. You you're playing poker. You know, most of the people. Go ahead. For no,
1: very no, that was good. Approach, yeah, yeah. Uh, most of the people there. Uh, are very nice. The dealers are friendly and uh, very competent. Uh, but like you say, you know cash games is your is your lifeline your that it brings the money in. so you can't throw a tournament if you don't have enough dealers to uh, staff your cash games. so that's the most important thing. So that's why you've held off on this. Uh, any thoughts on to when you could possibly start doing it?
0: Well, a lot depends on what kind of response we get to this class. You know, I mean, we can we can set it up. I mean, we're you know we're uh, to get into it a little bit. We're going to charge five hundred dollars for the class, um, but we don't intend to keep that. Anybody who successfully completes the class, gets hired and and works here for ninety days, we're going to give them the you know we're going to give them the five hundred bucks back. And if you know anything about it, a poker, you know, poker dealer school is usually anywhere between twelve and twelve hundred and two thousand dollars. And that's not All refundable. Right. So, I mean, it's it's an incredible opportunity for, you know, for anybody who's willing to make the commitment. And, uh, you know, the whole class is a month. It's going to be uh, most likely nine o'clock in the morning till one o'clock Monday through Friday for a month. And when you're done, you have a, you have a career. And then, if, you know, and then if you, you stay here for 90 days, in other words, pass the audition, get your license and stay here for 90 days, you know, you get your money back. I mean, it's it's it really is. And I'm not overstating this. It's the opportunity of a lifetime. You know, right. it's not something that comes along all the time because you have a career that you can, you know, that you can use not just here, but pretty much anywhere where there's, you know, where there's poker now. So I'm hoping we get a good response, but you know, we're going to try to get it out there and social media that do a little advertising and of course doing your show and uh, hope we get some people in here that want to do it. Nothing would make me happier because you know, as much as I enjoy running a poker room, as much as I enjoy writing a novel, I really enjoyed, you know, I knew it from when I had the school, the idea that you've changed somebody's life and, and given them something that they'll have forever. Right, no question.
1: Um, as far as uh, starting date,
2: have you determined that
1: yet, or I'm sure you're working out all the details right now, but uh, uh, how many instructors will you have, and, uh, and uh, do you have any idea at all how many people you might get from the very beginning?
0: Um, I mean, we can handle up to 16 at one time, you know, like once we get the word out, I'm hoping, you know, and this is the part I can't predict. I mean, we could get nobody or we could get a flood. Um, you know, I mean, we can handle up to 16 at one time for, you know, for that one month and hopefully we have another class starting right behind it. I mean, we'll probably start it if we get a couple less, but, um, we're going to start getting the word out literally in the next day or two. Um, you know, and I'm, you know, working on the paperwork involved, you know, there's a little bit of that to, to deal with, but I mean, I'm hoping to get the first one started early August if I can. Okay. Um...
1: Not to put you on the spot, but I always have to throw at least one curveball to every <laughs> guest during the show. Go right ahead. And and that is, and I think you probably know what I'm going to ask, but uh, uh, your room is is well known for uh, the high hand uh, that you had uh, promotions that you have established over the years, and much to the point that a lot of other poker rooms maybe find you the object of scorn because they feel like. Uh, you know, you make their job so much tougher, but hey, that's, isn't that what competition in a, in a tough market is all about, but you have, uh, given away high hand money for a long time and been very successful with it. Uh, how do you defend yourself against people that do find uh, fault with you?
0: Um, well, I mean, if they're finding fault with me for, you know, uh, giving away high hands, making people happy and, and making my room successful. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm never going to apologize for that. that. That's my job, you know, but I've, I've never gone out of my way to, to harm any other poker room or any any of my competition. But I mean, that's what, it, what it's about is to try to figure out what you're, you know what your advantages and disadvantages are and and to make the most of what you have i mean you know listen i don't have the greatest facility i don't have the greatest location but you know what i have is an excellent staff and i have excellent 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 management that you know that that allows me to try things that maybe i wouldn't have been able to try in other places you know i mean if if i worked for you know some big corporation um, you know i mean by the uh, and and tried to do some of the things we've done over the years I, it probably would have taken me months get, to get an answer. Let alone, who knows if the answer would be yes? You know, and here, um, you know, I have access to the people where I can say, "Hey, I have this, you know, this idea. It might be a little bit crazy, but you know, and 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 we're going to give it a shot." You know, here I can get an answer in a day or two. And try these things that maybe you couldn't try if you worked for a Caesars or a Harris or or you know a big corporation. So that's the advantage I've always had. And you know the other advantage this room has is we're easy to get to. We're easy to get in and out of. You know I mean and, and again I'm not I'm not bashing any of my opponents here. But you know one of our well known you know competitors a beautiful place. But if you want to get there to play poker. You know, you got to park far away or pay a lot of money for valet, then you got to schlep through the whole place, then you got to sign up, hope there's a spot on the waiting list. And, you know, it might be 45 minutes before you're playing your first hand. You know, if you've got, you know, if you're a busy person and you have two, three hours to play poker, wouldn't you rather, you know, spend that time playing poker than, than walking to the room and waiting for a table? And that's always been our biggest advantage it's easy in, easy out. And, you know, you, you get here and you're playing in five minutes. You you only got two hours to play. That's a big deal. So, you know, going back to your original question, it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm just competing, you know, I mean, and I enjoy competition and I'm looking to, to make this place as successful and make as many people happy as I can. And, you know, I think we've done a pretty good job over the years.
1: I think the common refrain is. How does he do it? I don't know. Uh, we can't. We couldn't make that work at, at, at the uh, amount of money he's given away. But you've assured me over the, in the past that it's all paid for with the jackpot rake, and uh, you know, there's 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 nothing going on the underhanded or anything. Uh, people will like to make up things, but uh, you know, you just figured on uh, you know, uh, uh, like you say, a management with a vision and. Uh, you know, knowing what brings people in, and it certainly has done that.
0: Well, I, I mean, it, it, it's it's sometimes we give away more than the amount that we're taking in jackpot. You know, I mean, and that's okay. We're allowed to do that, and we just you know we we see that as being a promotional expense. I mean, instead right. of, you know instead of taking out a TV ad or a newspaper ad or a radio ad, you you know you you give away more than you're going to take in. What really matters is is what you end up with you know, then that's that's where I guess it gets tricky for other places is finding that balance of, you know, what really makes your bottom line the best. Is it giving away this much, that much, this hour, that time in this form, you know? And, and, and also part of it is, you know, knowing what you're capable of. You have only so much staff, you have only so much time. There are, you know, at least here, there's lots of state regulations to deal with to make sure you remain compliant. So you know again, it comes back to knowing who you are and what you're capable of and you know and what your staff can do. I could have the greatest promotion in the world, but if we don't administer it possible you know properly, then it's garbage, yeah, you know I mean, we've done some things in the past that were successful, and I had to end them. It's just because you know we just really couldn't do it right. there was you know there were just always issues, so we tried something else.
1: On the downside, uh, it's kind of pigeonholed South Florida into an identification that this is nothing but jackpot chasers. And, you know, it's hard to fight against that when you see people uh, come in for the time that the promotion is going, whether it's, uh, you know, for three hours until noon or uh, so much each 20 minutes or half hour or however you run it. There's got to be a finite end to that uh, because you can't just constantly do it and keep raising the numbers. So when those periods end – You know, within 10 minutes, a lot of the group gets up, walks out and you have to break up tables and uh, dealers are unhappy with uh, the fact that they're not, uh, you know, they have to go sit in the break room for a while.
0: Well, that is true, but in my opinion, it's not as true as it used to be, certainly with what we're doing now, because, I mean, we've, we've found a way to, you know, to tailor the promotions to the busyness of the room at any given time. You know, more tables is more, fewer tables is less. Um, and it's become, you know, it's basically become a, a very stable situation. But, yeah, I mean, what you said was very true for a very long time and, and still is in some places. But, you know, it, we have a lot of games here right now that honestly, they could care less about the high hand. It's a, you know, it's a bonus. You know, I mean, we have a you know, PLO and two five no limit. I mean, to them, those people, you know, the, the high hand is, a, is an add on, but it's not their, their reason for being here. And, you know, the others, if, you know, if you're playing straight two, two, four, three, six, you know, I mean, winning a high hand could make your day, make your week, it could keep you in action for a really long time. So, I've, you know, so while what what I guess you would call jackpot poker is alive and well, I don't I don't think it's the only reason people come here. I think I think people come here because it's a safe, clean environment where they know everybody and that's their social life, Right. you know, and, and that's what I'm always focused on is I want them to feel like we want them here. And we do want them here.
1: We're headed for a break here, but there's two things I want to bring up that you have tried in the past that uh, I want to find out how it turned out. Now, obviously, things have been disrupted by the pandemic. Uh, You guys have had some rough luck over the years. Let's face it. I mean, you were the room that (laughs) really, really got destroyed by Hurricane Irma, uh, ripped the roof off the building, destroyed many parts of the casino and the poker room. You had to replace uh, not only equipment, but carpeting and all kinds of stuff. And you guys were closed for about eight months where everyone else was back open in about two weeks after the storm. They got very lucky. Uh, so there's that. Then there's the pandemic that uh, you closed you down for several months last year in
0: 2020.
1: Um, you got to feel at some point that you're a little sneak bit.
0: Uh, well, yeah, but you know, it's also kept it really interesting, and it, you know, and it's, it's 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 you know, I kind of work best as an underdog. You know, and 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 having this place come back over and over again has has been very satisfying. And and like I said, right now we're this room is doing better than it's ever done. And I mean, you know, you can knock us down, but we get back up. Listen, I've 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 worked on casino ships that almost sank, and that that that's not even a joke. And uh, you know, Hurricane Irma coming and tearing our roof off was a you know an enormous challenge. But you know, it, it's it's kind of kind of fun to to put it back together after it's broken
1: yeah yeah i can see that uh the big easy casino and poker room located on the corner of us1 in hallandale beach and pembroke road uh very like you said very easy to get to obviously easy uh striking distance and you've also benefited from the fact that the gulfstream park poker room never reopened after the pandemic so i'm sure you've taken advantage of that but uh a couple of things I did want to mention. One is your um, your encouragement of of fast play at the tables. It was something mm-hmm. that you did for a while. Um how no, was we're that successful? It. Are you?
0: We're we're still doing it. I- explain um, that concept for people. Okay, it's the the concept is, is is that you get, you know, a certain amount of time, you know, we we expect you to act on your hand within a certain amount of, you know, generally 10 seconds and to let me go back a little bit. People, you know, poker on television was a wonderful thing and it led to the explosion of poker and the immense gross growth of poker. There was one downside. And that is, is they're watching final tables and they're watching people take three minutes to decide around the call and they get up and they walk around the table and they think about it or whatever. So people were influenced by that. Now you got people, you know, they're facing an $8 call and they're taking three minutes. So what we did is we set up a group of guidelines where You know the game is called speed poker meaning you're expected to act within 10 seconds Um, we do not make it a hard fast rule in terms of you still got to give them you know a minute to decide on their hand before you declare it dead so we're we're not running over declaring hands dead um but what happens is over time is it became sort of a, a peer thing where everybody's like hey this is speed poker come on let's do it and it's been immensely successful because You know, I mean, it's it's poker can be boring if you're sitting there watching somebody take three minutes to decide whether or not they're going to call two dollars.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: exactly. You know, and so it's yes, our games are are still speed poker game. It works fine. And, And we've gotten to the point where we really have. I can't remember the last time we even had a floor call where somebody said, hey, this person's taking too long. And, you know, we left enough flexibility in it. Listen, if you're facing a thousand dollar call in PLO, you know, hey, you take as much time as you need up to, you know, the, I think it's a minute and 10 seconds that our, our roll book actually allows. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we're not, you know, but if you're, if you're facing a $2 call, an $8 call, yeah, come on, you know, there's no cameras on, make a decision. Yeah.
1: Uh, The other thing was uh, something we've discussed over the years, and that was uh, you mentioned PLO, uh, but we thought some of these other games would take off. Uh, I mean, now there's even short deck poker, which I doubt that you spread any of those games, but uh, we felt like things were growing in the mixed game realm, and, and it really has not taken off over the past few years. What are your thoughts on the mixed games and if they have any future at a local poker room?
0: I really don't. I really don't know. I mean, there's always something you know new coming along. I mean, you remember uh, Chinese poker was popular for a while. Uh, there was a five card version of uh, of Omaha high low or Omaha PLO that was popular for a little while. Um, it usually still comes back to the basics. I mean, PLO itself really took off over the last few years. You know, there, there probably weren't. 10 regular PLO games in the whole country 15 right. years ago. And now it's, right. you know, and now it's everywhere. Um, so, you know, I mean, look, anything people want to spread, we'll we'll spread it as long as it's a, you know, poker game and passes muster with the state, I'll give them whatever they want. But uh, I haven't seen anything new come along lately that's, that's really gained any traction. Yeah.
1: No, I understand. And, uh, you know, we can always keep hoping. Uh, And the final thing before we head to the break is uh, women in poker. Uh, I've noticed that, Danny, we have a lot of women that play now. Um, You know, for a long time, they were mistreated by unhappy gentlemen, um, almost sexually harassed at times over the years. But that's something you have to constantly guard against. Yeah. You have to guard against that.
0: Yeah, no, I love it. I mean, I think it's I think it's amazing, and we have quite a f- you know quite a few female players here, and I you know I'd like to think that they all feel comfortable, and and you know that's another thing. I haven't had you know a lot of issues with that, you know, we're you know men harassing women or anything like that, and anything like that. I mean, we deal with quickly. I mean, that, that's that's just not right. It's not something we're going to put up with.
1: Uh, it, obviously the women that play now play so much better. I mean, there's a certain, uh, women's intuition or whatever it is that, uh, that give them, uh, sometimes a little bit of an advantage at the table, uh, whether they can use their good looks or, or whatever it is. But, um, you know, it, 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 seems that the women that do play have gotten a lot better. Obviously you're not going to stick around if you're constantly losing tons of money and uh, people are taking advantage of you at the table.
0: Well, I think, I think women, I, I don't know, I might be being reversed sexist here, but I think women actually have a big advantage. And in, in uh, for one thing, you know, women don't generally have as big an ego, and they don't, you know, they don't take a, a bad beat at heart, and they don't get into, you know, they don't get into personal conf- you know, personality conflicts with others. Um, you know, I would fully expect that, that at some point, you know, female players will be, I don't want to say dominant, but they will, you know, every year there's, there's more and more that are that are succeeding and I expect that to continue. Yeah,
1: for sure. Okay. We got to switch gears because we got books to talk about. So uh, let's take a break here on the show. Uh, David Litvin, the director of poker operations for the big easy casino in Hallandale beach here in South Florida is my guest in the show today. And, uh, not only is he a poker room director, but he's a writer, and we'll talk about his new book, um, From God, The Mostly True Adventures of a Modern-Day Messiah. And when we come back, you're listening to Poker Action Line. Pick us up on SoundCloud or any place you get your podcasts, uh your iTunes. Uh, you can get us uh, connections to us on the poker fuse podcast page on the Hold'em radio network and uh, other great places that bring you great podcasts in all different types of subjects. Uh, ours just happens to be poker and we hope you'll follow us every week. We'll have some good uh, players coming to town in the next couple of weeks. And we'll try to get a few of them recorded on tape to bring you on the future shows. Uh, we'll be back with more of the show. When we return poker action line. And the play for real game becomes available later this year
2: From the vantage point, Mafatu saw six war canoes drawn upon the beach But what held the boy's eyes in awful trance Were the figures springing and leaping about the flames Darting, shifting, bounding toward the sky The eaters of men he could reach it before the savages overtook him. Explore new worlds. Find out what happens next by reading the book Call It Courage by Armstrong Sperry. For other great book ideas visit literacy.gov. A message from the Library of Congress and the Ad Council.
1: south florida is my guest and we want to get to uh his latest efforts uh i mentioned the book from god which uh, i saw one of the original copies uh that uh, dave was still working on the uh with a publisher on the outside of the book uh when it was just called john from and uh i got enough, lucky enough to get an autographed copy of the book and uh, sat down and read it uh, and loved it absolutely loved it it's uh it's a very quick and funny read and uh uh some of the hilarious uh, dialogue the development of the characters are the things that i really liked uh how long did it take you to write it
0: uh, i would say t- about seven to eight months or so okay and it uh, kind of, it kind of fell out of me i'd been toying around with the idea for a while and there were a lot of standing in the shower moments where I would, you know, run out and write stuff down before I would forget it. And uh, But basically, once I got it going, it kind of came out fully formed, which uh, I seem to have inspiration like that once a decade or so. So I might have one or two left in me. OK, uh,
1: you mentioned the toughest part of the book was putting together the ending and how you want to uh, uh, make that come out.
0: Well, I mean, without, you know, without, without spoiling anything, it was important to be written in a way where it it brought across the point without being, you know, too graphic. And, uh, you know, I was hoping for some element of surprise. And, you know, that's, that's not an easy thing to pull off. And, you know, I'll leave it up to the reader to decide whether I pulled it off properly or not.
2: Well, I
1: think you did. And, uh, you know, one of the things I enjoyed the most was uh, the description of the island. Uh, and the characters and, uh, you know, what they were driven by. I, there was some very funny pop culture references where you did change the names, but it's pretty obvious who they're, they're based on, some of the characters. And, uh, you know, the, the, the dialogue that comes out of some of these people is hilarious. I think uh, one of the things that a lot of people will have stick with them is the Namba and, uh, you know, the, the talk of the walk and that sort of thing and the uh, bungee jumping kind of scene and that sort of thing. But uh, those are interesting things that uh, I, I wonder sometimes how you came up with some of these.
0: Well, the bungee jumping thing is real and it, it, it's actually called land diving, which is a practice still done in, on some of these islands. Um, where you know they basically jump out of a tree and hit the ground. They soften up the the you know they soften up the soil a little bit or whatever. But uh, you know in in my book they're they're practicing for this and they're practicing over water. But when it is done for real over land and that that's a you know that's a real thing. Okay. So I didn't didn't actually make that up. <laughs> oh, and that became a, a a New Zealander who was there witnessing the ritual. Uh, that's where he got the inspiration for bungee jumping from. That's okay. true.
1: Okay, and then there's the kava ritual, which is uh, sounds pretty interesting as well.
0: Kava uh, Kava's a real thing. It's uh, you know it's grown on those islands in the South Pacific. It's become semi popular in other parts of the world. Um, there's a kava bar about three blocks from my house where I, I actually went there when I was first writing the book to do uh, quote research. Um, and it, it's a it's a real thing. It's a very very mild, uh, it has a you know very mild drug effect. It just is kind of relaxing. It affects everybody a little bit differently, um, and it's it's really cool stuff. And it is the uh, it is for real the heart of a lot of rituals on these islands. And it, and it really is harmless. It's a, it's, it's an amazing thing.
1: Yeah, you mentioned uh, that you had thought about what you might do if uh, you ever got a chance to bring it to the big screen uh, if you were involved in that at all. Uh, Some of the characters people will have their own thoughts, but uh, you mentioned Halle Berry uh, for one of the female leads, uh, you know, possibly George Clooney. All those would be great, and it's a funny story that I think, you know, if you just get the right person to read a book, it it could take off, and and people can can imagine seeing it up on the big screen. Of course, there would be lots of voiceover involved of people describing the feelings of some of the people, uh, but the... You know, and it's not really an action film, but there, there is some action in it as well.
0: Yeah, and, and that's kind of what makes it tricky to, you know, to to, to to sell it, so to speak, is that it really doesn't fit a genre particularly. I mean, there's a little adventure, a little action, a, you know, it's a little bit spiritual, it's a little bit political, it's a, you know, and it's uh, mostly, hopefully, all very funny, um, but it doesn't fit. You know, these days they like things that fit a genre specifically. You know, it's science fiction, it's uh, fantasy, it's uh, you know, uh, a shoot 'em up. It's uh, you know, it's very hard to to sell a book that you can't really put in a category.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, Tell me a little bit about the first book, uh, All in the Poker Musical. What kind of an experience was that for you?
0: Well, that's that that was very different. Um, that was back when I first started working here. I came originally to the Big Easy, which of course, was Mardi Gras at the time. I came here as a dealer. Uh, and there was a gentleman who played here a lot. His name was uh, Vinny Poncia. Um, not a household name, but he but he uh, won a Grammy. He wrote the song "You Make Me Feel Like Dancing" with Leo Sayer. Um, he produced a couple of Ringo Starr solo albums, a couple of Kiss albums. I mean, this is a you know, this is a big guy, you know, a serious man. And we used to talk about music. We became friendly. And uh, I said to him one day, I said, you know, I'm kind of a writer. I could, you know, what about a poker musical? And I, I think he he says to me, well, you know what? If you write it, I'll I'll write the songs for it. And I I think he might have thought I was kidding, but a couple of weeks later, I came in with about you know, I don't know seven, 8,000 words of the beginning of a poker musical. And he got excited about it and started writing songs for it. Um, so he was working on that while I was working on writing the, the play and, uh, he ended up writing the eight or nine songs for it. And, uh, I finished the work and he, you know, he has some connections and knows some people, but you know, the odds of having a Broadway, you know, a, you know, a full scale play producer about one in gazillion. Um, but he, you know, at one time there were a couple people interested in it. And, you know, then it kind of just went by the wayside. You know, I finished that that uh, I finished that play in 2010. Um, and for a while, it looked like there might be some bites and And then when I went and put the novel, you know, on Amazon, when I put John from on Amazon, once I figured out how to do it, which was no small feat, um, I was like, OK, I might as well just put the, the play on there, too. Why not? It's not going to hurt anybody. And I've uh, gotten a little bit of a reaction to that, but you never know. Maybe you'll, somebody will find that someday.
1: Any thoughts uh, that uh, someday that could be uh, on Broadway?
0: I would love it. But, you know, I mean, <laughs> I guess that's. I'm, uh... I'm 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 not placing any bets on that, but you, you never know.
1: <laughs> Tell us how you can uh, people can get the book. Uh, is it available in bookstores, or just uh, people can order it on Amazon outside of Kindle?
0: Uh, yeah, you can, if, even if you don't have Kindle Unlimited, it's for sale. They're cheap. Um, you, know, you can find it on Amazon either by searching my name, David Litvin, L-I-T-V-I-N, or just I think if you put in John Fromm, it'll come in. And if you put in All In or Poker, it'll probably come up and it's, it's pretty easy to find. And, uh, you know, I, I, and anybody who reads it, I, you know, I'd love feedback. I'd love to hear from you, you know, liked it, didn't like it. You know, that that that's what I really get out of it. I like to I like to interact about it, and you know, and, and hopefully people enjoy them.
1: Well, I know Roger Ebert is long gone, but uh, I give I give it two thumbs up. No question.
0: Much appreciated. It's the uh, I'm gonna live let... in the world that makes me feel better than that.
1: <laughs> uh, one last question about what ha- what's happening in town here over the next couple of weeks. The Seminole Hard Rock has a huge tournament. People coming to town. What effect does that have on your room? I, because there's more poker players in town. Do you get some uh, spill off from them? Uh, do you get maybe their regular players that there's not enough uh, action in the room because of the tournament that come over to play at your place? What is your effect uh, out of a huge tournament in town like that?
0: uh usually it's positive i mean you know we're kind of in a new landscape now so who knows but generally when when they have big events it's positive it brings a lot of people in the place there they get over capacity and you know we get some spillover um and and this is where i really wish i could be running tournaments now because you know the last couple of times you did did this we had people come over here and, and and play in the tournaments and most Hardcore tournament players have no interest in a free roll. The, you know, the, the prize isn't big enough. It's not something that they would. Right. right. Quite a number of them come over there and say, I, I never had more fun. It's the, it's like the funnest thing I've ever played in. It's obviously you know,
1: a different, different level of, of poker competition. No question, but uh, I would think different that any,
0: and it's just relaxed. It's calm. They have fun. It, it doesn't make anybody crazy. Yeah.
1: Well, I would think that poker players that come to town get knocked out of a tournament may like to find a place where they feel that the competition is a little bit softer for them. And uh, that might be a, a, a way to come over and win some money.
0: I'll tell you what, if it's not, it should be because, I mean, the, the action here at some of our competitors, again, I won't say anything by name. But the, you know, the players at some of these rooms, you you, you, ask, you walk around the room and you, 90% of the players will tell you they're perfect. they'll tell you they're professionals and that's what they do for a living.
2: And, you know,
0: uh, you know, uh, obviously that can't be true because not all of them are winning, but um, here it's, you know, more of a recreational player. And, and, you know, we, we have, we have arguably some of the best action in the country. Right. And, you know, that's not, not just me talking. I hear that from the players. I mean, it's, you know, they're, they're, you know, a lot of players playing to have a good time. And by the way, that doesn't mean they're bad players, and it doesn't mean they're pushovers, but there's action. The opportunity is there. Well, thank
1: you so much for being here. Uh, I do appreciate it. Best of luck with the book, and I'll be checking in with you to find out. Maybe we'll talk about it a little more when uh, that movie deal is signed.
0: Dave, thank you so much for having me. And you were right. The, the the hour flew by. Absolutely. Well, thanks for
1: being with me. I'll be dropping by to say hello, maybe playing one of those tournaments when you get them going again. That's for sure. Appreciate you being here.
0: All right, Dave. Take care. Thank you.
1: Okay. Uh, David Litvin, the uh, director of poker for uh, the Big Easy Casino Poker Room in uh, Allendale Beach. Uh, great place to play. i sure you would like to check it out and really should do so soon uh also the author of the new novel from god the mostly true adventures of a modern day messiah check it out on kindle or on amazon and uh uh, i highly recommend it i'm sure you're going to enjoy it let me just finish out the show with a couple of notes i let dave go because you know there's uh Certainly, as a poker room director, there's competition. uh, There's things happening in the world of poker that he just cannot comment on. Uh, Mike Smith always used to say, that's above my pay scale. So uh, we let Dave go. And uh, just a couple of mentions here. Uh, Of things in South Florida, but uh, there is stuff happening out there in the world of poker Uh, Two of the South Florida, well actually South Florida and Southwest Florida uh, Magic City and Bonita Springs, those two poker rooms filed a lawsuit uh, That is uh, claiming that the sports betting portion of the uh, Seminole Compact violates federal law So we expected a lot of uh, legal action and those will be ones that will undergo there Of course Uh, What they're really contesting is the fact that uh, sports betting uh, can take place on tribal lands. They're not contesting that, but they said this whole idea of just because the servers are on Seminole land, that doesn't mean that people are allowed to place their bets from their phone anywhere they are in this country. So uh, there will be a big ruling on that coming down the pike this summer, probably later this summer, and we'll see what happens with that. Also... uh, uh, there's a big tournament coming up that I thought was a great idea, and we'll get to some of that with Joe next week. But the World College Poker Championship uh, main event starts on July 24th. College students getting a chance to play, and that certainly has to be a target audience for many poker room directors around this country. Uh, that is coming up on uh, Poker Stars this week. Uh, I mentioned the Poker Go Cup, which ended with Kerry Katz winning the high roller and Daniel Negrano winning the player of the tournament. So there's plenty of stuff going on here. And uh, we will look forward to uh, seeing what we can do. Uh, Our sad thing, our sad note today, which we mentioned at the top of the show, Lane Flack, great player passing away and uh, very sad news to hear there. But uh, there will be, uh, you know. Plenty of great players coming along and a lot of them will be in here in South Florida in the next couple of weeks. So check out the Seminole hard rock for a great tournament that starts July 22nd and the the main event will take place August 6th through the 10th here in South Florida. Uh, that is a 5,300 5250 buy-in, uh, with a $3 million guarantee. Of course, the opener is just a great event that uh, gets underway very soon here. And, uh, The first tournament has six opening sessions, uh, $600 buy-in, and they expect a very huge crowd for that. So check that out as well. Uh, That's going to do it for the show. We do appreciate you being with us here for another edition of Poker Action Line. We'll welcome back Joe next week to the program and uh, our thanks once again to David Litvin for spending the entire hour with us uh, talking about uh, his extensive knowledge of the game from, from, uh, well, for the last uh, at least two decades, a little bit longer than that, actually. But uh, running the room for many years over at the Big Easy and uh, teaching lots of dealers. Check out his. If you're interested in dealing, check out the idea for his poker poker school. He uh, basically gave us a scoop tonight on the program and what's going to happen with that. So check out their website Big Easy Casino and dot com and uh, let you know, uh, you know, what the future of this game holds every week on our regular editions of the program. That's going to do it for us. We will catch you next week on another edition of the show. Big Dave Lemon saying so long from Poker Action Line.